Our reading this evening is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And on the Church Bible, that's page 1227. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we, this is how love is made complete amongst us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear have to, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thank you, Rachel. Is it possible to preach after two burgers and a piece of pavlova? We're about to find out, aren't we? So uh, <laughs> let's, let's pray. <laughs> Father God in heaven, we do thank you again this evening that we can meet together to worship you and to hear from you in your word. And Father, we ask now that as I preach and as we listen, that you would glorify your name and that you would glorify your son. Father, we pray that you would extend his kingdom. And Father, particularly tonight, we pray that you would build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might go out into this week praising you for all that you are and all that you've done for us and assured of your great love for us. And so, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, the great theme of the verses in front of us this evening is love. In fact, it could be argued that the greatest theme of all of the Apostle John's biblical writings is this theme of love. 
And the Apostle John has been known to some in church history as the Apostle of Love. Church history suggests that as an old man, the Apostle John pastored in the city of Ephesus. And on some occasions, due to his infirmity, John would be brought on a stretcher in front of the congregation and all that he could manage to preach to his congregation was this. Little children, I tell you to love one another. So for the Apostle John, this was the great necessity for God's people to love one another. John has already written about love in 1 John, in his first epistle. Chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. John has already spoken about this matter of love. But now John returns to this theme, and he builds on this theme, and he develops his previous teaching, as we will see. In these verses, John writes about God's love in Christ for us, his people. And John also writes about our love for God and for others. He writes about our love for God and for others. And he writes about this as a real and necessary response to God's love for us. Remember this evening that John is writing for this purpose. He, he wants to assure, he wants to reassure genuine Christians that they are just that, genuine Christians. And as we'll see in a moment, John says that one evidence that we are real Christians is that we love. One evidence that we are truly saved is that we love God and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do these things because God is love and because God has first loved us. So let's have a look at the text. Let's look at these verses and this evening, I'm going to ask some questions to help us think about this text, and I'm going to use these verses to help answer the questions that I will pose. And the first question is this one. What is the command that John gives? What is the command that John gives? The command that we receive in these verses is that we must love one another. We must love brothers and sisters in Christ, especially brothers and sisters in the local church. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then John concludes this section in verse 21, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We are commanded to love. And what does it mean to love? Well, to love means to have an attitude of heart and of mind and will that desires good for all brothers and sisters in Christ. And where possible, brings about good for them, even at potential cost to ourselves. I think that bears repeating. It means, love means to have an attitude of heart and mind and will that desires good for all brothers and sisters in Christ and where possible brings about good for them, even at potential cost to ourselves. So this means that we're to sacrificially love all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love all brothers and sisters in Christ, even those who to us 
um, often seem to be to us at least perhaps different from us or, or difficult or tiresome or immature or foolish or troublesome. Whoever they are, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love them. To love means to encourage, to support, to comfort, to teach, to remind, to pray for, to provide for, to rejoice with, to weep with, to fellowship with, to help, to forbear with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It may mean at times admonishing and correcting and even rebuking. Well, as it's 2023, perhaps I need to remind us that to love someone is not to affirm them or to accept them in sin or foolishness. That seems to be one of the definitions of the world at the moment. To love means to, to affirm somebody or to accept somebody even in foolishness or sin. But quite the opposite is true. If we truly love someone, we will do what we can to help people repent of sinful conduct or lifestyles or character traits. So true love will manifest itself in a desire to help each other glorify God and to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to love one another. The Lord Jesus said, himself said in John 13, 34 to 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, we are to love all men and women without exception, even our enemies, the Lord Jesus Christ says. But I think we're to have a special love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. J.C. Ryle wrote this, A man who is born again has a special love for all true disciples of Christ, like his Father in heaven, he loves all men with a great general love, but he has a special love for those who share his faith in Christ. Like his Lord and Saviour, he loves the worst of sinners and could weep over them, but he has a peculiar love for those who are believers. He is never so much at home as when he is in their company. He feels they are all members of the same family. They are his fellow soldiers fighting against the same enemy. They are his fellow travelers journeying along the same road. He understands them and they understand him. They may be different from himself in many ways, in rank, in station and in wealth, but that does not matter. They are his father's sons and daughters and he cannot help loving them. So that brings us to our second question. Why must we love one another? Why must we love one another? Well, biblically, we could give many reasons why, as Christians, we must love one another. We could talk about the glory of God or commending the gospel, being salt and light in our community. But John emphasizes one particular fact in these verses. Why must we love one another? Well, he says we must love one another because God is love. In other words, from his very being, God desires to do good. And our God's desire to do good overflows into acts of undeserved goodness into all of creation, even the fallen creation, and especially towards his own people. So if we're born of God, as John puts it, if we know God, as John puts it, if we are real Christians, then something of that loving nature, that loving character 
will be evidenced in our own lives. The exercise of love in our own lives demonstrates that God has been and that he continues to be at work in our lives. If we increasingly love other Christians, albeit imperfectly, here is evidence that we truly belong to God, that we are truly saved. Here is evidence that God truly lives in us. But on the other hand, if we do not reflect something of God's loving nature, his loving character in our own lives, there's no evidence that we truly belong to him. Verse 7b, the second half of verse 7 into verse 8. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 16, second half. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The Bible commentator Leon Morris says this, Christians should love not because all those they meet are attractive people, but because the love of God has transformed them and made them loving people. They should love now, not because attractiveness in other people compels their love, but because as Christians, it is in their nature to love. So John wants to assure his readers. He says to them, if they have, or in their case, since they have, increasing love for God and increasing love for God's people, there is evidence that can contribute to a growing assurance that they are truly God's people. For the Apostle John, it would be illogical, it would be logically impossible, it would be illogical to love the unseen God and not to love his children, the children whom we can see, verses 12 and 20. But for John, the love that we have for God's children is evidence of, it's an outworking of, the love that we have for God himself, which in turn is evidence that God is love and is working in us. And so then to our third question, what does Christian love look like? What does Christian love look like? And we are left in no doubt what sacrificial love looks like because our God has given us the greatest example of love. Verses 9 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what does Christian love look like? Well, it looks like the incarnation. It looks like the eternal Son of God leaving the glory of heaven, leaving the privileges of heaven. It looks like the Son of God humbling himself to become a servant, to become a man. What does Christian love look like? Well, Christian love in action looks like the cross. It looks like the Father sending his beloved Son to die for our sins. It looks like the Son freely giving himself in love for us, taking our sins upon himself. 
On the cross, John reminds us that Jesus became the atoning sacrifice, or perhaps better translation, propitiation for our sins. In other words, in his suffering, in his death on the cross, Jesus received and Jesus satisfied God's just wrath against our sins so that we might go free. The Lord Jesus would pay the price in our place. This is Christian love. This love is humble, it's lowly. This kind of love does not insist on exercising one's own rights. It prefers and prioritizes others. It's a costly love, it's a self-sacrificial love. It is a self-giving love. And this is the way we ought to love one another. Of course, in one sense, the Lord Jesus' death is a unique death. Only the spotless Son of God could give himself to be the propitiation for our sins. And yet, in another sense, the death of the Lord Jesus is an example of all Christian love. It's the greatest example, an example for us to follow. So, to love brothers and sisters in Christ will sometimes be costly, it will be difficult, it will be painful even, but such love is Christian love. And so then on to our fourth question, how can we know that God truly loves us? How can we know that God truly loves us? Well, in verse 16, John says this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. More literally, if you've got the ESV in front of you, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So this little word so in verse 16 points us back to verses 13 to 15. And so the word so in verse 16 means because of this, because of the things I've just reminded you of, because of these things we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Because of what I've just written in verses 13 to 15, says John, we can know and believe that God loves us. But what's the reason then that we can know God loves us? What does John write in verses 13 to 15? He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so, because of this, we know and rely on the love God has for us. I think last time I was at the front talking about 1 John, I said I find it a difficult letter. And here's another example of why I find it difficult. I've got a mind, I think, that thinks um, in sequence. I start here, I end up over there. John seems to have a very different mind. He'll take up a topic, he'll leave it, he'll come back to it, he'll add to it, he'll thread other topics in. And John is doing something similar here. He's re returning here to previous themes in his letter. He returns to the theme of spirit and testifying to the Son, entering the world and acknowledging the Son and God living in his people. These themes suddenly pop back into the letter, as it were, at this point. So what's John doing? Well, I think in effect, John is saying something like this here. This is how we know that God loves us. 
and believe that he truly loves us as his children, or if you like, this is how we can have assurance that we are real Christians. He's given his people his spirit. He's given us his son as as savior. He's given us eyewitness testimony that this is true. We've been brought to the point of acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God. And as a result, God lives in you and he lives in me and we live in God. And these glorious truths mean that we can know and truly believe that God loves us. Perhaps to put it another way, we can be assured that God loves me, God loves you as his child, if, and only if, we believe and acknowledge the apostolic testimony, the testimony of the apostles, that Jesus is the Son of God, sent by the Father to be our Savior. And if we're willing to acknowledge or to confess that fact publicly, we have the Spirit who alone enables us to do these things. So once again, John wants true Christians. He wants us to be confident of God's love for us. He wants us tonight, if we're Christians here tonight, to have an increasing assurance that God loves us and that we are Christians. And how can we know? John says we can know if we love other Christians, if we have the Spirit, if we confess Jesus as the Son of God and our Savior. If these things are true of us, we can be assured that God loves us. We can be assured of God's love for us if these things are true of us. And so then, our fifth question. How can God's love for us and our love for him assure us of the future? Perhaps you fear the judgment day, the day of judgment. Perhaps you fear the day when you will have to stand before our God and give an account of your life to him. Well, the Apostle John says that as God's people, we do not have to fear that day. Verses 17 to 18. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So John is saying that we can be confident on the day of judgment if we love like Jesus. Well, on the face of it, that doesn't bring us great assurance, does it? Because who amongst us tonight loves like Jesus? But John doesn't mean that we love like Jesus to the same extent He doesn't mean that we love perfectly. John can't mean this. That would be no uh, reassurance to us at all. John means that we can be confident if we love in the same manner as Jesus. If we love our brothers consistently and sacrificially with determination, yet imperfectly, we can be confident. Because such love to our brothers and sisters is love made complete. Perhaps a better translation there would be love brought to maturity. We can have confidence on the day of judgment when we stand before God if we love in the manner that Jesus loved. The fact that we're forgiven people is evidenced by God's work in us. It's evidenced by a growing love for God and his people. And so we can be assured that there's nothing to fear about judgment for God's people 
for his forgiven people. A growing sense of love for Christ and love for his people, a growing realization of his love for us, can give us a confidence as we look ahead to the day of judgment. If we're tempted to fear judgment, think about this. God's love for us has removed from us the fearful prospect of punishment on the day of judgment. There'll be no punishment for God's people because it has been dealt with by Christ's love for us worked out on the cross. Christ's perfect love for us means that we need not fear. It means that we should not fear judgment to come. Christ's love for us should drive out such fear, that fear of punishment. We need not fear punishment because there will be no punishment for God's people, for the people whom he loves and the people whom he has caused to love in return. Well, John Calvin said that God's people can go to the judgment confidently and cheerfully because they feel assured of God's paternal or fatherly love for them. So this growing and mature appreciation of God's love for us means that we no longer fear judgment. We no longer fear punishment. Another commentator says that those who are united to Christ by the Spirit know that they are not going to be punished. God's love has dealt with that prospect. So this growing love, a maturing love for God and his people, and a growing understanding of God's love for us, these things should give us confidence, not simply for the here and now, but should give us confidence for the future. Here is evidence that we are truly God's people, that God is truly working in us. And so then, our final question. Is loving God and loving others the way then that we earn our salvation? Do we earn our salvation, our forgiveness, our relationship with God through loving Him and loving others? And the Apostle John says no. He says that we only love because He first loved us, verse 19. We're told that God loved his people from before the foundation of the world. And his love for his people led him to do everything that was necessary to save us. To send his own dearly beloved son into the world. To send him to die on the cross for our sins. To give us his Holy Spirit. Applying all that he had done for his people. To apply those things individually and corporately. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, don't consider, don't believe the fact that you can work your way into God's salvation. Loving others, loving God himself will not, it cannot earn God's forgiveness. We simply trust, we must trust that God has done all that is necessary for us through his Son. In his great love for his people, our God has done all that needed to be done. We just receive this by faith. But as Christians, how do we respond to God's love in action towards us? How do we respond to God's grace, to our free, our undeserved, our unearned forgiveness in Christ? Well, we respond in love. We respond in love towards the Father, towards the Son, and towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love does not earn our salvation, but it is 
evidence of our salvation. It's not the root or the source or the cause of our salvation, but love for our God and for brothers and sisters in Christ is a fruit. It is a result of our salvation. It's evidence that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, that he is working in us as children of God. I'm going to finish by quoting the hymn writer William Featherstone, and then I'm going to read verse 11 once more. We could have sung this tonight, and I thought of the appropriateness of this hymn far too late, but I will quote these two verses to you anyway. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, Redeemer my Saviour art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. And verse 11. Dear friends, since God so, or in this manner, loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you again this evening for the wonderful, immeasurable, vast love that you have for us, your people, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, unearned, undeserved, unmerited, and yet, Father, lavished upon us in Christ, and we thank you for that. Father, we recognize that your word tells us that as the recipients of your vast love, that that we too, albeit imperfectly, ought to have a loving nature, a nature that responds to that love. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to be more like Christ in that regard. Forgive us when we fall short. Help us to be individuals and as a church where love for one another is seen in acts of patience and sacrifice and at great cost at times. Father, help us to be like Christ in that regard. Forgive us when we fall short. And again, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the great example of what it means to love sacrificially in a way which is costly. And Father, we thank you that Christ was not simply an example of love to us, but Father, that his love that took him to the cross meant that we could be forgiven, we could be saved father we could enjoy your love for all eternity so father give us hearts of thanks and gratitude in praise give us hearts of love and response to all that you've done to us in christ and we ask these things in jesus name and for his glory amen